Um, if you've been tracking with us, we wrapped up the book of Galatians um, uh, last week, and it was really, really good study for us. It's been teaching us about freedoms we have as followers of Jesus and how we're saved and what we're called to, and reminders of how wide and vast the table that is set before us. Uh, and so until this week, we had no idea where we were going. Uh, after that, we wrapped that book up, and so um, we were kicking around the idea of jumping into the Old Testament. And uh, we love the Old Testament, we love the New Testament, we love it all. Um, but in our vision statement says that uh, on the back of the bulletin that you're handed, it says this, we see a church that equips believers and values biblical teaching. We believe that the truth of Scripture is relevant and transcends time and culture. Uh, we just felt like, uh, and, I, and I was kind of siding on, on the, the New Testament side, I was like, you know, um, I really feel like that really pertains more to us as believers, as the church. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that's good. And, and so where we landed, kind of compromise, uh, we decided to do this uh, new study uh, that is, and it's where Jesus actually quotes the Old Testament. There's 33 times in Scripture where Jesus actually goes back and quotes the Old Testament. And so we feel like as a church that's going to be a great next step for us, and it'll take us probably till way into next year before we finish. So you want to stick around for that. Um, because we don't, want to, we don't want to ignore the tradition that's in the Old Testament. You know, Jesus was not only a Jew, he was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And all that, we preserve everything and, and, and trust everything in the holy text that points to Jesus. Um, he's the fulfillment of a lot of prophecy in Scripture that was written about over a period of about 1,000 years, 2,000 years ago. We believe that the Bible is God's word. And the word was made flesh, meaning that was what was written about Jesus is important, but also the words that Jesus said have utmost importance to us today. And if you hear me say one thing today is this, Jesus is the most important thing God ever said to humankind. Jesus is God's supreme revelation. So in those, in those 33 times that Jesus talks about the Old Testament, um, we'll hear from the time of the opening of his public ministry to his first temptation, which we'll be talking about today when he was in the desert. To the Sermon on the Mount, which we've covered before, but we're going to go back again and hit those. To the parables, to the masses, in the private times of teaching his disciples and reflecting with them. And the goings on during Holy Week to the last words he spoke on the cross. Jesus wove the law of all the prophets and, his, and the writings of the, of the Hebrew tradition into what he lived. So we'll do our best to follow a, a chronology of that um, over the next several months, and we'll point out and go to the original meanings of the text and hope to uh, provide some clarification of what Jesus was actually meaning and talked about. Today we're going to be talking about the, the temptation of Jesus in the desert, and the Torah is uh, foundational to Judaism, and Jesus quoted it more often than any other portion of the Old Testament. The first three examples of Jesus quoting the Old Testament are in this story that I'm talking about, his temptation in the desert. But Jesus responds to each temptation by quoting Torah, showing the supreme value he placed on it, demonstrating how it impacts his thoughts and how it impacts his behaviors. With that, let's pray, and then we're going to read out of Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Father, just want to open our eyes this morning to what you have us see. Give us hearts that are ready to learn and ears that are attentive to your words. Father, we, we love you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. So Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4, it says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That is the most understated verse in the whole Bible, I think. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. The very first words in the past, the very first word in this passage is then. He says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Well, we look back at what was right before the then in chapter 3. Jesus had just been baptized. He was uh, baptized by John the Baptist. And Jesus didn't need a baptism for repentance of sin, but he was baptized to identify himself with our humanity. Much like our own baptism when we get to identify ourselves with his, not humanity, but we get to, baptize, we get to uh, identify ourselves with him. And the Spirit uh, at this time descends on Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God said in an in a audible voice, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So that's where we come then. Jesus is led into the, to, to the wilderness by the Spirit. I had, I had more questions than I had answers this week going into this, uh, having read it, you know, a million times but, uh, and heard the stories. But, but my question was why did Jesus, why was he led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? You know, he just had this awesome God moment kind of thing, this father-son, I'm pleased with my son, but now I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to lead him into the wilderness to be tempted. We know this, Jesus' baptism, like, like ours, is the beginning of Christian ministry. It was the beginning of his, his public ministry, his public commissioning to go out to the world. This was Jesus' sort of coming out party as the Son of God, as it would be our identification as a disciple or follower of Jesus. For Jesus to begin a three-year time period of gathering disciples, teaching them how to live and love people well, showing them what intimacy with the Father looked like, and performing miracles, and then ultimately culminating in him being led to the cross. But did Jesus need to be tested? I think if we look at this story, a few, a few things become apparent. One was Jesus was fully man. Jesus is fully man. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. He chose, he chose to move into our neighborhood, put on skin, and walk among us. He moved into our hood. So in that, God felt that, like many of us, before our public ministry can begin, we must be tested. My own story, and I'll refer to this as my wandering in the, in the desert, is, is it took all of nine years. Nine years, I believed I was called to ministry. My testing took many shape and was tons of fun, I can assure you. But I will say this, it was humbling, it was instructive, it was painful, and it shaped me and made me more ready, I guess, to be used by God. So Jesus put skin on, experienced everything we do, including temptation, and the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. But since the plan for Jesus, knowing the end of the story, was to go to the cross, a perfect sacrifice, he, what, what, what I, another question I had was, wasn't this then just an act of futility? Wasn't this some kind of, this some kind of play that, that Jesus and God had with the devil? And I don't really think so. I think that Jesus, being fully man, recognized that part of the plan 
was to experience the full essence of being man. And in that gave himself to become like us. Jesus was tempted as a man, not, not as a deity. Meaning that he overcame the temptation of sin by the same power that you and I have. This, the power of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And for those of us who do know the Bible, we've heard this verse that says something like, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So Jesus was fully man on earth. Born a baby. He was, he was vulnerable. He was reliant on his mom for food, his earthly father for protection, for, a, for dinner on the table, for a, a roof over his head. And as a young man, he worked and he sweated like we do. And, the, and Luke tells us this as a young man, that Jesus was found teaching in the temple when his parents thought he was lost. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We believe that God is all-knowing, but yet young Jesus grew in wisdom. So Jesus is gaining the full human experience, including growing in wisdom by his own choice. So as a 30-year-old, which is the, the, around the age that he was at right now, Jesus was baptized and beginning his earthly ministry. He was every bit a man on this earth as you and I are, and he hung on a cross and died a death of a man. So when we hear God cannot be tempted, we know that Satan is tempting Jesus. He is tempting him as a man. From the, from the verses, let's notice when Satan tempts Jesus after 40 days of fasting. Um, I want to say this. There, there was a, I, I looked this up. There was a study done of a, um, of a monk. I didn't, they didn't tell how old he was or how fat he was. <laughs> but he, they, 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 he did this 40-day fast, eating nothing but communion, which was estimated to have about 60 calories. And I thought that's got to be way more than what our little shards of gluten-free communion wafers have. But in that, he lost 35 pounds. He developed symptoms of uh, severe hypotension, which is low blood pressure, where he needed almost half an hour to even stand up in the morning. He had clouded thoughts, as well as other deteriorating health concerns. He had planned to go for 40 days, but only lasted 26, I mean 36, excuse me, uh, when profound weakness just kind of overtook him and he was no longer able to do his job. So Satan is coming at Jesus uh, when he could have been in a severely weakened, vulnerable state. And what was the temptation here? So what was that? To eat, to eat right. To, to be filled. To turn stones into bread, right? Um, I think that... I think that uh, That, that's, that's always been Satan's appeal to us, is to find us in, in times of weakness and appeal to just our basic, our basic instincts. Just do that, Jesus. If you're the Son of God, we know that Satan knows that Jesus is the Son of God. But he said, if, if, you're, if you're the Son of God, go ahead and turn those stones into bread so that you can eat, so that you can be filled. I think it sounds kind of middle schoolish. To, and they're gone so I can talk about them, right? But it uh, sounds kind of middle schoolish to kind of almost bully or taunt Jesus to say, if you're the son of God, if you're really, I would have probably caved. Um, I'll show you. I can turn those into steak. Um, or maybe a better word for that was, since you are the son of God and have all that power at your disposal, why don't you go ahead and turn that, those stones into, into bread? Why not alleviate your hunger 
and eat. Funny thing about that is I don't think Satan's really that concerned about Jesus' hunger. I don't think he's thinking about the physical aspects of what Jesus is going through. Don't think he's really concerned with that at all. But what if in Jesus if you're if you're Jesus, what is what's really so what's really so sinful about turning a few stones into bread? That would be my question. That was my question as I prepared this week. You know? And, and just between just between Jesus and the tempter, you know, what would be what would be the harm of just turning a few stones into bread? It seems innocent enough, right? Looked innocent. Who was looking really? It was just Jesus. It even sounded religious. If you think about it, this was kind of right in Jesus' wheelhouse because he turned water into wine. He, he uh, fed 5,000 with a couple of fish and five loaves. So it sounded religious-y, right? Just turn those stones into bread. But aren't those the same questions we ask about our sin? It's innocent enough, right? Who's going to see? And I'm justified. I'm justified in my actions. I'm hungry. Just a few stones turned to bread. Eat and be filled. Well, since Jesus came in a man, and in that, he came as a servant. So he wasn't going to bend the laws of nature to serve himself. All of his other miracles were were to bring glory to God and honor him. And another thing, it would have been a frivolous use of his abilities. And in that, would have been in direct opposition to what God's plan was. Remember, he was led to the spirit, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. This was a test. Or maybe it was simply because Satan suggested it, it was the devil's idea, right? If it's the devil's idea, it's got to be bad. Remember the story of Adam and Eve. There was certainly other food in the garden, but there was one tree that Adam and Eve were not to eat from. And they knew they couldn't. But when tempted with food again from the tree and with having their eyes opened and being like God, by Satan, they ate it. They chose to eat it. An interesting thing about the story is that about this story is that Jesus is called in First Corinthians the new Adam or the second Adam. And again, the first temptation to both Adam and to this new Adam is food. I would suggest that this is Satan's mo. He he comes at us at things that just seem. Uh, Like, they don't really matter. The way he works is in the small things, seemingly insignificant things, in order to gain a foothold for bigger things. The same way that he tempted Adam and Eve would be the first way that he tempted Jesus. But see, small sin is big sin. Adam and Eve's sin was where sin was born, right? And we know that the rest of the story is that we're all born into that sin. That's the sin we fall under, is the sin of Adam and Eve. Sin was ushered into this world by one small, seemingly insignificant, disobedient action. Thus our need for a Savior, and thus a payment for sin, which was Jesus. But this sin would be like the first domino that falls. It's just one, but it begins a chain reaction that ultimately takes us takes down other dominoes. And when we're faced with sin in this manner, we don't start thinking about the big sins. We don't start thinking about murdering someone. But small things, lying, cheating, 
seemingly unnoticed. And they lead to larger things. So Jesus' response to being tested is critical. Critical in that, like the first domino, we know the end of the story. Jesus goes to the cross to conquer sin in the grave, but he must go the perfect lamb, the perfect son of God, in whom there is no sin. So the first temptation and the ones to follow are critical in the path of the life of Jesus. While on earth, he cannot sin. He just simply can't. In order to be that once and for all sacrifice, the reason that he came in the first place, he mustn't. But for Jesus and his humanity, the temptation was there. Jesus is the, is the Father's plan to buy us back and buy back the entire world from the clutches of sin. And with hindsight being twenty twenty. We can't overlook the magnitude of every single decision, every single, single thought that Jesus had his entire life because he's the Savior of the world. So what's Jesus' response to temptation? If we click along, we've done three verses so far. The fourth is, is pretty telling because it's going to be the Old Testament quoting. Um, he says this, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This, this verse comes directly out of the Old Testament, specifically Deuteronomy 8.3. I'll give you a little backstory on what's going on here and why this verse is important. This is a story of how Moses led the Jews who were being enslaved for 400 plus years by Pharaoh after the Passover. And Moses was to lead them into the promised land. So the children of Israel began their journey in the desert with no food and no sustenance. So 45 days into the journey, that would have the journey is going to total 40 years, but they didn't know that. They turned to Moses and Aaron because they were literally starving to death. They said it would be better to be slaves again with food than to be free and starve to death. So Moses went before God and asked on their behalf, and it says this, on the 15th day of the second month, so 45 days in, Moses asked God what to do. And God told Moses he would send manna from heaven every morning. People were not to hoard or store up more than they could eat each day, except for on the sixth day they could take enough for the Sabbath, a day of rest. So after the Jews realized they were completely and utterly dependent on God to sustain them, he did. We read Deuteronomy 8.3. He said, it says this, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feed you, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors have known, to teach you what man, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So this is the story that Jesus went to is he's facing Satan after 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus is definitely feeling hunger. He's probably severely weakened. He's probably lost a lot of weight. I don't, know, I don't know, it doesn't say this, but he could, have, he could have had clouded, you know, judgment or whatever. I know mine would have been. But he's quoting Deuteronomy. Biblical fasts are a time of withdrawing, denying food or other things so that you can... Uh, be more in relation with God. You can hear from God. A lot of people fast for that reason. And we know that Jesus had had this close, intimate relationship with the Father, and we might even assume that he was fully reliant 
the past 40 days while he was in communion with God to draw his strength, to possibly grow in understanding and appreciation of the magnitude of the role that he was going to play. Maybe he was seeking instruction in his ministry, what it would look like, who he would choose to join him, where he would go. We don't really know, but these are the sorts of prayers that I had in my journey in the wilderness. So what are the takeaways for us today? How does Jesus' temptation and response to sin relate to us today? Is this passage a blueprint for us as followers of Jesus? Is there something to be gained for the believer in this passage that we can use certain steps to avoiding temptation? Is this a tutorial for daily living? I'll say this, yes and no. Yes, and that individually we witness Jesus, who is fully man, led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and then relying on the Holy Spirit. And while, while at his weakest point, Satan approaches and offers him something contrary to the will of God. And he was able to overcome that through the Spirit. But also, maybe not. Maybe, maybe this story isn't really about us. I think the beautiful part of the story is that Jesus did this for us. That we're witnessing what may have little to do with us except as it involves Jesus' willingness to take on the burden of humanity to save us. What we're beholding is the Lord, the second Adam, obeying where the first Adam failed. To bring this thing back, all this chaos and disorder back to restore order for, the, for, for those who'd follow him. We see Jesus bowing his will, even his basic need to the fathers, taking the sufferings of the cross upon himself and redeeming us from our bondage. Jesus isn't simply offering a lesson of how to resist temptation. He's, exact, he's actually resisting temptation on a scale we can't fathom. And although Jesus' hunger was no doubt fierce, the first temptation isn't really about hunger per se. Nor is it about how you and I can use the word of God to resist the devil, although we can do that. It's about Jesus choosing the suffering and dignity of the cross over his rightful dignity as the Son of God. Why would the Son of God suffer the consequences of humanity and its rebellion? Why not simply command the stones to turn to bread? and relieve that indignity? Why suffer such demanding pain for such unworthy subjects? It's a valid question. And the only, the only real answer I came up with this week is grace. It's grace. If we believe that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, and we also believe, as I said earlier, that Jesus is the most important thing God ever said to humankind, then we know that life itself is sustained by Jesus. Are we ruled by our appetites, our desires, our wants, our bellies, like Adam and Eve? We know where that will take us. Or, like the second Adam, Jesus, can we trust God in our weakest moments? Let's pray.